So what do you think of when you hear Jacob's Ladder? <laughs> Tyler does this. Some of you might know that string games called Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. It's a movie. It was a remade movie. It was a TV show. It's a video game. Countless songs are named Jacob's Ladder. There's a, uh, there are multiple stone paths in the UK that are called Jacob's Ladder. There's a hiking trail in Utah, a road in Tasmania. There's a pocket knife called Jacob's Ladder. There's flowering plants that are called Jacob's Ladder. A mathematical surface, uh, electrical device that produces high voltage traveling arcs. Um, there's a painting, and probably many paintings. I think there's another folk toy besides the spring. So these are just a few of the things that are inspired by or called Jacob's Ladder. You probably know of some others. What are we so intrigued by? What is it about Jacob's Ladder that has captivated the imagination of humanity through the centuries and has caused us to name so many things after this biblical story from chapter 10 of Genesis? Oh, and there's a point in the sky where the rays radiate out. That's also called Jacob's Ladder. That's a pretty cool one. I didn't want to forget that one. So maybe our fascination with Jake's, uh, Jacob's Ladder is that it seems to provide a pathway home. Could it be? Perhaps it's that. I was thinking about a, a talk that Oriah Mountain Dreamer gave, the spiritual teacher gave. She was talking about how she was in a circle with uh, several people that she had worked with quite a bit. And so they were all accustomed to sharing. Their hearts were, were really open to each other and they were kind of automatically in that space together. And into that space, she said, we all long to go home. And there was just kind of that feeling, right? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I mean, even when I heard it, I was playing it on a CD in my car, and I just remember kind of taking a collective sigh. You, you, can you connect with that? We all long to go home. And so what is that about? What is home that we are all longing for? Is it some kind of paradise that we imagine, this return to heavenly paradise where everything is beautiful and perfect and easy and done for us and comfortable and peaceful. Is it that? Is that what we are imagining returning home to our source, to the, the, the being or the beingness, the, the in divine intelligence of the universe that created us and we're back into those loving, that loving space? Maybe it's that. What is this that we are longing for, this comfort, this ease, this peace, this love, this joy? It does seem to be that there is a kind of universal pull, this idea of returning home whatever that means for each of us. The funny thing is that Jacob's dream, Jacob's ladder, the story that um, comes from Genesis, in that story, he's just fled home. He's leaving home. He's leaving the home that he grew up in. He's leaving his parents' home. And he's being kind of automatically initiated into adulthood because of the events that have just occurred. And the events that just occurred were that Jacob stole his brother Esau's blessing from his father Isaac. So his father Isaac in the tradition would give a blessing to the eldest son. But Rebekah, uh, Jacob's mother and Esau's mother, 
Jacob was her favorite and Isaac's favorite was Esau. And Rebecca got with Jacob and said, look, you know, you are a really smart kid and I want you to have the blessing. <laughs> and so she, they cooked up this plan together where he disguised himself as Esau. So his father, when he reached out to touch his hands, thought they were Esau's hands and gave him the blessing. But Esau's coming home from the hunt and he and, J and Isaac are going to figure out what's happened here. And so Jacob needs to run. So you imagine he's a pretty young kid. He's probably scared, probably feels guilty. And his mother says, go to the faraway land of Haran where your uncle Laban lives and he'll help you get your feet on the ground and, you know, figure out your livelihood and find a wife and start a family and so on. So head there. So he goes out into the wilderness and he's on his way and night is falling. And so he's literally leaving from Beersheba to Haran. Beersheba means, according to Unity's Metaphysical Bible Dictionary, one of the meanings is the seventh well. And so seven in Hebrew numerology is a kind of physical completion. So it makes sense, right? He's completed an era of his life and he's going out into the next era of adulthood. He's, he's completed adolescence and childhood. And so for all of us, it is like that, right? There are stages of life, there are completions, but it's never just a physical journey. It's never just an emotional or hormonal or intellectual journey. There's always a deeper spiritual journey happening simultaneously. And of course, that's what's happening for all of us, and that's what's happening for Jacob. So Jacob gets to a mid, midpoint, or somewhere along the route anyway, and he does what we all do when we're tired and the sun is setting and it's time to go to sleep. We find a rock and just pull it under our head and lie down right there, wherever we are. <laughs> and that's where he begins to sleep and to dream. And it's in Jacob's dream that suddenly the ladder appears, the famous ladder, the intriguing ladder that we've all been sort of in love with in various ways. And it appears to, to rise up from the earth and, and go out into the heavens or to fall down from the heaven. Anyway, it just appears. It's a connection between heaven and earth, right where he's sleeping, right where he's lying. And on this ladder are all these angels descending and ascending the ladder. They're just moving like this in this flow, these angels back and forth from Jacob to at the top of the ladder, God. And from the top of the ladder in the middle of Jacob's dream, God tells him how blessed he is that the land he's lying on right there is blessed, that he is blessed in his future, that he will have many offsprings and be a very prosperous man, and that all of his offspring will be a blessing to all the people on earth. I mean, who doesn't want to hear this, right? Not only will they be prosperous, but they and their children will have a positive impact on all the people of the earth. I mean, this is a dream come true. Multiple dreams within a dream come true, right? That everything will be taken care of, that'll have everything he ever needs. Now, think about the fact that Jacob has come from, probably he's coming into a place, he's, he's going to sleep in a place of fear and guilt, right? That he's stolen a blessing. And God's telling him, oh man, that's nothing. You got all the blessings, my son. So what a wonderful dream 
he has, right? And those angels that are flowing up and down are showing us that there is a constant communication between ourselves and the divine and the divine and ourselves. And we'll talk a little bit more about why that's significant later. So, so God's, one of the things that God says to Jacob before he wakes up in all this telling him about his blessings is something I think a lot of us long to hear too. He says, know that I am with you and I keep you wherever you go. Isn't that comforting? And so I think sometimes we gravitate, or at least I'll speak for myself, I gravitate toward that sense of knowing that first principle of unity, the allness of God, that, that I am I'm not so much watched over, but, but kept, you know, I'm kept in this place of, of safety and uh, warmth and comfort and ease and love. So it feels good to get that reassurance every so often, doesn't it? Yeah. So all of that happens, and, we, and Jacob wakes up, and he realizes the magnificence of what has just happened. He's like, the divine presence is right here, right now. I mean, this is huge news. If you think about the evolution of humankind, the Bible as a story of the evolution of humankind from a spiritual standpoint, you know, up until now, God has been this, this outer figure, right? The, the father time figure in the sky, very separate. And here Jacob's having a realization of right here and now is the divine present. That's a pretty big dawning in the consciousness of Jacob and all of humanity, really. He says, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. How awesome is this? And there he is all by himself out in the wilderness, this young man. And he's like, wow, this is mind-blowing. I mean, he must be telling like the lizards and the birds and, you know, anybody who will listen, right? What an incredible experience he's just had. He says, this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob's having a realization that heaven is on earth. He's beginning to have a realization. And this very spot that he's on is sacred. And so early that next morning, as Jacob is arising, that stone that had been placed under his head, that had been this uneasy resting spot for the intellect, is tipped over, is raised up, and he, he deliberately makes it into a kind of altar, a consecrated space. And he sanctifies it by anointing it with oil. And he's basically, by ritual and ceremony, saying, this is heaven on earth. This is a sacred place right here. So when we find those places, those holy places for ourselves, it's powerful to have that kind of uh, ritual and ceremony that, that brings together both the physical experience and the spiritual experience and honors what we have just experienced in that way. Makes it, con makes it more concrete, right? Consecrate, like a con concretize. I don't know if those two words have anything to do with each other, but they suddenly seem like they do. <laughs> so, so then he calls, he names the place. He calls it Bethel, which means house of God. And the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary says, Bethel in the individual refers to a specific center near the heart. 
I'm, I'm thinking it's the, the center of divine love, which Charles Fillmore, our co-founder, said is back behind the heart. So it's that centering place right behind the heart. This would be Bethel, the house of God, the place where that innate power rests. And he may not realize himself yet that the house of God is him. He may not totally realize yet that his heart is the gate of heaven, but he's on the journey to that realization that the house of God, the body temple, houses God, and that this is the portal of love, the gateway to heaven in which that flow of communication occurs. But we begin to recognize that through his story, and he will recognize it more and more as he goes along. So really, Jacob's ladder is also a story of prosperity, part of our intrigue as well, because we love a good story about prosperity, don't, don't we? Because we love prosperity, most of us. I can't think of many of us who would say, oh no, too much love, too much money, too much good, I'm sorry. <laughs> Although we do do that sometimes, don't we? Some of us, some of the time. So to, to imagine what happens overnight to go from this concept of lack and limitation and not enoughness, you know, Esau really experiences it, his brother as well, because Esau comes in and has this conversation with his father Isaac, and he finds out the blessing is no more. And he just falls on his knees, and he weeps, and he cries out, and he says, Father, can't you bless me too? There's not an, any blessing left. You know, and he's just expressing this, like, how could it be? How could it be that there's only one blessing for two children or ten children, you know? How can it be that there's only one, that there's not enough? It's this consciousness that says there's either a blessing or a curse. And basically, you know, you get one or the other, right? There's not enough. But so he comes from a consciousness out of a society and customs and a family that says there's not enough. Anybody come from those places? Those ideas of lack and limitation that from early on we pull along with us. And then there's an awakening that happens. That there is not only not, a, that there is more than enough, that there is an overflowing blessing of good available to us. And it can multiply and our thoughts become offspring, our feelings become offspring of new and wonderful experiences and ideas and expressions of love and joy and peace. So it's that process of recognition that is so powerful. And out of that abundance consciousness that Jacob has awakened in from a place of lack and limitation just the night before, he makes a vow. He says, I am going to give to God a tenth of everything I receive. He's making a vow to tithe. He names everything that God's given him and more and all the things that are yet to come. He affirms what is yet to come, food and clothing and children and all these things that will prosper him. And then he says, and I will give a tenth of the good I receive back 
to God. What does that mean? The way that we interpret that is back to the places where I'm spiritually nourished, back to wherever I feel that connection, wherever I feel filled up, wherever I'm awakened to abundant consciousness, whenever I am transformed or shifted, I will give back to that whenever I'm healed, whatever it is that comes to us. So that's his commitment. Our fascination with Jacob's ladder, I think, is warranted because there's so much to unpack in this story, so much truth that, unravel, that unravels from the story. One of these is that spirit is here with us wherever we go, that knowing, that rock that we can bank on, that spirit is with us wherever we go. It's not left there. It's not up there. It's not, you know, it's, it's with us. It's here. We are the house of God. We are always divinely protected. We are never alone. And that we are abundantly blessed right now. It's not about some far off time that we'll receive our good if we're good enough. It's right now. Just opening to it now. Breathing it in. Recognizing it. Seeing it. Feeling it. Expressing it. Allows us to lift up into the goodness that we are. So that communication with the divine, let's go back to that. That communication with the divine that is symbolized by the ladder and the angels that come up and down. Now, they don't have the angels streaming down in one line and then the, it just all goes one direction. They're, it's important that they're going two directions and that there is this constant stream of ascending and descending. There's a, an old school um, unity metaphysics Bible teacher, Ed Rabel, who for many, many decades, he's made his transition, but for many decades was, was a real rock in, in unity as a teacher. And he talks about the significance of these angels and the fact that their movement is simultaneous. Because he says that conversation, that connection, that communication that they symbolize, the messengers of God, is both ways, right? From self to God, from God to self, from the, the divinity in us to the humanity in us, if you will. And so from our humanity, from ourself to the divine, there is usually expressions of, you know, prayer, requests, asks, um, maybe affirmations, appreciation. And coming the other direction, there is intuition, there is guidance, there are insights, there are blessings, there is abundant good. And so one of the things that Ed Rabel talks about is here's the thing, it's happening simultaneously. See, we think in our culture, because we've learned this idea of chronos time that really doesn't exist in spirit, that everything is about a calendar and a, a clock, right? <laughs> and so everything has like its, you know, cause and effect. This happens and then that happens. But in the mind of God, it's all happening at once. It's Kairos time. It's all happening simultaneously. And so it's in that creative flow, in that experience, that in the mind of God, the ask and the answer are simultaneous. The, the need and the fulfillment are simultaneous. The supply and the demand is simultaneous. It's all already happening. There's no waiting time, and there's no great effort to get there. So we ourselves, the very house of God, we can see heaven, we can experience heaven, we can be that, we can house that 
St. Teresa of Avila writes in her mystical work, The Interior Castle, what could be worse than not being at home in your own house? What hope do we have of finding rest, she says, outside of ourselves, if we cannot be at ease within? It's that idea of, you know, the conventional idea of being at home in your own skin, right? It's that recognition that it's here, that, that there's nowhere to go. It's right here. It's available to us now. It's in our own hearts. It's in our own beings. And that our hearts are the gateway of heaven. There's no need to, to pull from that faraway place. St. Teresa then tells us how to access the gateway to heaven, how to ascend to that place. She says, remember, if you want to make progress on the path and ascend to the places you have longed for, the important thing is not to think much, but to love much and to do whatever best awakens you to love. So I don't know about you, but when I think a lot, my mind gets um, sort of, I don't know, tired, jumbled. <laughs> There's like, it can be a struggle going on. It, it feels um, full. feels like there's a lot of fullness in there. One of my favorite meditation techniques is to imagine the doorway inside my mind opening and all the projects and the people are like, thank you for coming, thank you, yes, thank you, thank you. Thank you for coming, yes, great. And then the light just streams in and it's empty space. It's like spring cleaning just happened, you know? And then there's that, ah, that pause, that thing. So uh, St. Teresa's really on to something here. You know, that 18-inch journey is really Beersheba to Haran, right? <laughs> to drop down from the head, from thinking so much, to loving, to just loving, to just being open to love. We don't have to even have to, I don't even want to put a, we have to do loving thing on it. It's just being, right? It's just an opening, just an allowing. Just let this gateway to heaven open and let the good pour in and the good pour out. That's all that happens. And we don't have to do anything. I mean, that is really a key here, I think, in this whole process. In, in, in ladder safety, I've learned that you're always supposed to have three points of contact, you ever heard this? So either that means two feet and one hand on or two hands and one foot on the ladder at all times. So in Jacob's ladder contact, we want three points of contact all the time, right? So one, and to do like Jacob did. So one is to rest, right? That's all Jacob did. He laid down. He's got all this turmoil going on and he just laid down and went to sleep and all this stuff happened. He woke up awakened, spiritually speaking, in an abundance consciousness. It's a demonstration that it's not about climbing the ladder. That's for so long, I always thought that's what Jacob's ladder was about, like all these levels of spiritual consciousness. And, you know, you can find those interpretations out there, all these things that we need to move through and we need to raise up and transcend and even spiritually, right? It's like we got to do it in life, we got to do it physically, we got to keep our relationships up, we got to do, you know, work hard, and we got to make sure we pay the bills and raise the children and take care of the parents. And then at some point, we just go, oh, there's got to be a better way. Let me just lay down and sleep and have a dream, see if everything can be taken or brought 
and it does. That's what's amazing. You know, in my uh, sabbatical from, uh, when I was at Unity of Columbia, I took a sabbatical and I came out here to California from Missouri. And um, I was in the ancient bristlecone pine forest, which is a really sacred place, not that far from here, if you've never been. Trees are thousands of years old. Some of them, I think Methuselah's in 4,000 plus these days. And I went out with a, a colleague, a person I was in a retreat with, and uh, we went out at sunrise, and we went our own separate ways. And soon I was going to be turning my little buggy around and heading back across the country home. And I wanted to know from these just ancient, wise, gnarly beings, you just saw a picture of them, that have, you know, suffered drought and all kinds of things and still standing in the hot sun and raising up and, and stretching what seems like toward heaven and stretching their roots deep into the earth, I imagine. I wanted to know what these wise beings could give me as a message to take home to my people. So I hiked in and I sat by a couple of trees and I just like, I was waiting, you know, for the wisdom to come. And I sat up against the trunk and I asked and I heard one word, rest. And I was like, oh yeah, that's been great on the sabbatical. The rest has been good, you're right. It's been lovely, but I wanna know what to take to my people. <laughs> and I heard it again, rest. And you know, there always has to be three, so I asked again, same answer, rest? I mean, that just seems so simple. I can't just take that idea back, rest? But isn't there just sort of a collective sigh when we begin to realize it's not about efforting? It's not about climbing a ladder? It's not about some outer place to get or some betterment of self even, which is what we're all about, it seems like, in New Thought. But what if, at least some of the time, and maybe all of the time, it comes back down to rest? <sighs> Feels good, doesn't it? And then another point of contact that Jacob teaches us is to realize. He realizes, right? He recognizes. He has an awakening. His, he, his mind and heart are open to the abundance that happens. And when he does, he says, this is sacred. And I'm going to have ceremony, ritual, prayer, affirmations, appreciation. Whatever it is that you do to make it real. Whatever that, maybe it's a sacred place on earth that you find a holy place to you. Find some way to, to really to consecrate that place, to allow yourself to physically embody the experience of honor and also to honor yourself in that process. So there's realization of what is true and what is real and how I want to honor it. And then the third point of contact that Jacob teaches us is to recommit, recommit. Recommit to whatever it is that you vow or that you want to make a covenant with your divine self and the allness of God to do, to be, to allow, to, be, to come through you. In Jacob's case, he, he vows to tithe. Maybe that's for you. And maybe it's to pray, to be in that flow of the messengers of God, or maybe both. Prayer and prosperity, two great pillars of our unity teachings and practices. So whatever that is, it's these th three, these three points of contact, rest, realize, and recommit. 
I think these are, this is a part of what Jacob's Ladder teaches us. So home is where the heart is. It's not just a saying. It really is true. I think you said it earlier, Shauna. And you know Susan Angelos? There she is in the back. <laughs> she does our Centerpoint Weekly every week, the e-news that you get. And she has a treasure trove of amazing quotes. Every time, I'm always amazed because I'll say, this is the topic, which she's just finding out on Saturday. And then, boom, comes a quote that is just perfect for the topic. She's like, oh, yeah, I have a library. So she introduced me yesterday to Sister Mary Euphrasia Pelletier. And she says this. May your heart be an altar from which the bright flame of unending thanksgiving ascends to heaven. May we open to that and let our hearts be an altar. And remember the truth about who we are, that we ourselves are this house of God, that we ourselves have this altar or gateway to heaven, and to honor that, to honor ourselves by resting, by realizing, and recommitting. So let's be this this week, this intriguing process of in process with Jacob's ladder. I invite you to say this affirmation with me. My body is the house of God and my heart the gate of heaven. I am already home. And so it is. Thank mm -hmm. you.